Okay, we are live, and what's going on, guys? We are heading into the show. Today, we are interviewing Josh Finlay and Aaron Laycock with the company, The Finlay Mortgage Team. A little bit about The Finlay Mortgage Team. They were born out of the idea that through exceptional service and expert advice, we can create a world of more accessible capital for our clients. As real estate capital advisors, our mission is to assist investors in strategically scaling their portfolios. We understand the struggle investors face and how difficult it can be to scale once the bank says no. Our experts find alternative solutions by leveraging institutional and private capital stocks, strong networks, and competitive products. Our passion to be industry leaders in combination with our unique skills allow us to offer an industry-leading service that is unparalleled in the Canadian real estate market. So I'm going to bring in the guests right now. Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Hey, how are you? Yeah, thanks so much for having us on, John. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. I'm very excited about this episode today. It's going to be a really good one. Yeah, so, definitely same. Yeah, we've been looking forward to it. Absolutely. So why don't we start off? Why don't you have a like, like a personal introduction to who's who and uh, and maybe explain a little bit about how you got into the industry? Sure. Age before beauty. Go sure. Ahead. Yeah. So my name is Aaron Laycock. I'm one of the, the founding or uh, one of the owners of the Finley Mortgage Team. Um, I got into the mortgage game about two, two and a half years ago. Um, you know, wasn't initially my uh, my go-to career. I, I took kinesiology in university and uh, that didn't pan out um, the way I expected. So, um, you know, I was looking around for an, a, a different career and kind of fell into mortgages. Um, uh, our principal broker, uh, Scott, who's not here today, he uh, he's carrying the experience of the team. He's been there for 17 years. So, um, you know, I, I met with him and, and shadowed him for a little bit. And, uh, you know, he showed me, you know, if, uh, you know, how, how, you know, how well you can do if you, you know, create yourself to be, you know, a niche broker and, and really focus on the customer service side. And, um, a lot of that was seemingly missing in the uh, investment industry. So, um, that, that's kind of my introduction to the mortgage and, uh, mortgage game. And from there, you know, it's just been a process of learning and building and it's, uh, it's turned out pretty well so far. So that's kind of led us to where we are today in a sense yeah yeah so my name is josh finlay i am also one of the owners of the finlay mortgage team there are three of us um i had a decently similar story so i went to university for uh criminal justice and law i wanted to be a police officer um as many people who have applied to be the police officer you know they figured out pretty quickly they get through the interview process and you need some quote-unquote life experience so i had to go figure that out um and on that journey, I figured out that I actually didn't want to be a police officer. I uh, I ended up being introduced to this market and I really liked it. I like the customer service of it. I like the idea that you can just go and build a business and a lot of it's relationship based. Aaron and I learned pretty quickly that uh, investors are decently underrepresented in this space. So we wanted to focus on that and we built a business around around doing that. And you know, we're trying to offer you know, better, more competitive products to the market and helping you know, people scale their portfolios and giving them solutions that necessarily weren't there or weren't readily available. Um, and that's how we kind of ended up in this situation right now. Well, let me ask you guys, like, did you guys start off right off the bat together or did you guys uh, start on your own and then uh, somehow merge together? Sure. So, I mean, our relationship goes back you know, back to university. So we went to university together. Um, 
and we both kind of figured out our own our, our own things. Um, we both worked at the same original brokerage uh, for another person, um, but we decided obviously we wanted to work together. So our journey has been together since essentially day one. Yeah, uh, the other brokerage, you know, paying the brokerage fees and and the commission splits like that when you when you start to do a certain amount of business and, and your clientele grows to a certain level, it just, it, it no longer makes sense to, you know, be, be working under someone else and you have the, uh, the cash flow to be able to open your own, your own brokerage. So we, you know, took the, the opportunity and, and jumped in and we officially created the Finley mortgage team as its own independent brokerage. That makes sense. Yeah. What was your biggest hurdle? Like if yeah, like starting out, I mean, cause you know, you go to a bro, like you said, you go to a brokerage, things are kind of set up for you doing your own thing you kind of have to start your own setup and i'm sure there's going to be lots of hurdles what mm -hmm. was the biggest hurdle so getting... the, like, the biggest hurdle in regards to just becoming a mortgage broker in general it's it's decently difficult to to drive business so it's a very carp for the horse um industry because everybody wants to deal with somebody who understands and is an expert at what they do so getting getting a client to you know, listen to you when you say, "Hey, look, this is like my first deal," or like this is you know, I I'm learning. You know, a lot of people this is one of the largest transactions they want to do, so it's difficult for them to be able to trust you to be able to do you know their transaction for them. So it's almost like a fake until you make it mentality in this business. So when you first start out, um, it was a lot of cold calling. It was yeah. a lot of a lot of creating relationships with realtors, um, building that knowledge base. Obviously, the first few years of when you start something um, to try to learn as much as you can, it's it's decently difficult to um, start out. But those are the hardest years. And if you can push past those years and you can create the base that you have with, with some great clients and your knowledge of products and you know, as you're growing, it gets easier and easier. But the first few years um, were decently difficult. You know, you, you're always looking for that next deal, whereas you know, once you hit a certain level and you, you know, have the expertise available, you no longer are, are hunting. You're more or less just uh, honing your craft and becoming the best at what you do. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? That's similar with realtors too, right? It's sort of like, it's almost like you wake up unemployed every day and so yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And like you said, it's the constant grind. Um, yeah. now, okay. You made a lot of relationships with realtors as well. That's like, what's your biggest source of, uh, income? Like, where does it come from? Does it come generally from the public? Is it referrals? Mm. So social media really. And it's, it's kind of a blanket term, but we, you know, having done the cold calling and, um, you know, reaching out to realtors and it's, um, you know, at, at first I thought realtors were just all jerks because, you know, no one had time to be able to return your phone calls or they were busy. Um, and then when you, once you get past that growing stage and you get to the same level of busy, you're like, Oh no, they're just, this is what busy life is in the real estate game is <laughs> you, you don't have time to go meet every mortgage broker for a five minute, 20 minute coffee. So you, you quickly learn how busy it really gets once you start to uh, produce on that level. And, um, you know, the biggest thing for us is we just realized that working, like relying on realtor sources, um, isn't the most efficient way to be able to, um, you know, create a large source of business. Um, you're very much reliant on obviously making sure every deal goes well, but I mean, you, you never know. There's a lot of personal connections with realtors where they, you know, they may switch to someone else. Maybe their friend or family becomes, or maybe their brokerage picks up a central guy. And there's, there's a million reasons why you could lose that referral business. And for us, it was just, you know, you're, 
your your income source is kind of just dangling on a string and one minute it could be there the next minute you know it could be somewhere else so for us we wanted to find um a way to create the leads without having to be dependent on on a referral source and for us it was um you know social media being able to put out the youtube videos the instagram videos um and just the, the instagram content and that's really done uh, like wonders for us and now our business probably relies 95 percent on the social media to generate our consistent our consistent leads and then we you know from there uh our referral sources we still have some industry partners that we work with and then referrals from uh pre-existing clients and that's turned out to be uh the key for us is the social media and then just doing a good enough job that we get those referrals from our from our clients well, that's pretty good, actually. You know what I mean? Like, uh, again, I, like I think real estate and mortgages start out the same way. We're always told to cold yeah. call, yeah. right? I mean, and I'm kind of, I kind of believe the same as you guys do. I mean, yeah, okay, cold calling is one source, but let's be realistic here. Yeah. Um, most people don't have a home phone these days, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, really it's just a certain, I would say, a certain age group that keeps the home phones. Or they'll yeah. have it just because the alarm system requires it and they haven't bothered to convert it to the new <laughs> internet one, right? Yeah. So it's like I haven't had a home phone for years uh, myself. I mean, I have one. I don't know the number. It's not even connected. It was just part of the deal, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, so that's actually very, very good. Like, I mean, like it's old school mentality to cold call all the time. Yeah. Um, and I, again, when was the last time you got a phone call and said, oh, I'm so glad you called me today. Yeah. I, I was yeah. just waiting for you. That's funny because that's like the the reaction we got from every single person we called. It's like, why are you calling me? Yeah. Where did you get my phone? How did you get my information? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting. So, as we grew, as, as I grew as a mortgage agent, as we grew as mortgage agents, we realized there's two different types of marketing you know there's that that pull marketing where you're you're calling you know you're you're trying to get as much business as possible whether that is buying leads whether that's cold calling whether that's knocking on doors you know whatever that is you're pulling all your deals in whereas we found out very quickly that if you you know add value to your demographic of people so if you teach people your knowledge for free and and you let them know you know how you're able to do something you know that that that's push marketing so you're able to help and add value to people and as you add value to people people will then come to you for advice mm -hmm. so we just obviously there's an upfront cost as you know to creating content you know it's not it, it's got a lot of time effort um you gotta you got your you gotta shoot your content you gotta have a whole team that's editing your stuff and you know, there is an upfront cost to doing it but i I, we realized just very quickly that we'd rather add value to other people and then become an expert at what we do. And, and that has obviously put us in the situation we're in. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% there, right? Let, let, let's be frank, right? Um, I've been in uh, real estate in July, it'll be year six. Mm. So, and it's one of those things. And I'm telling you, we're, I'm not even going to get into every industry. Let's just pick on the mortgage brokers because you guys are mortgage brokers. <laughs> <laughs> I get five calls a day and it yeah. all starts the same way. I can help your clients with whatever it is, right? And I'm sitting there going, okay, great. Why don't you send them to me and I'll send them right back? Yeah. Right? Like, the, like the way they speak is like you're sitting here, like again, it goes back to you're sitting here waiting for them. And I've, I got the clients right here, the dangling. Where can I send them? You know what I mean? Like, like but the point is, I respect. The hustle mm. and i get it because you got to start somewhere you got to do yeah. something but it's one of those things that 
This is old school mentality where you're trying to, you know, get in front of people to go buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. I don't think that's the way, you know, today's age works. We get, like I said, I get six calls a day from this. You know what I mean? So how many people, like how many, like, even if you take the biggest team, that's going to do 700 transactions. So that's at most 700 per year. And that's if every single person is a buyer and that's every single person needs a mortgage. And let's face reality. I think you'll know the stats better, but I believe it's a 60-40 split where 60% have mortgages, 40% are paid off. I'm not exactly sure the numbers. It was there once upon a time. If it's the same now, I don't know, but I'm just giving you an example. So mm -hmm. even if we go with those numbers, take the 40% of that 700, um, and, and that's only 400 people that need mortgages. And then how many percentage of those already have pre-existing relationships with banks, you know, and then it, it gets into like, yeah. you know, it, the numbers are, yeah, it's, it's an extremely competitive market and in a market where I can't offer anything better than what the next agent can offer and what the next agent can offer. The only thing that differentiates yourself in a market is your expertise and your, and your customer service. And that's it. So if you have an expertise in finding solutions for people and you can execute on that, or if your customer service is better than another person's, that's, what's going to do it. Cause we, we, we can't beat the bank. Like the bank is, is always going to be there, but you know, our advantage is the bank's customer service is terrible. And, and that's what we're trying to change is the ability to be able to help people find solutions and give them a level of customer service that isn't there in the market. And for any agent out here, you know, uh, listening to this conversation, like, you know, your level of customer service is going to be the differentiating factor between being a really, really great um, entrepreneur in real estate and it not working out. So, you know, make sure that your customer service is dialed in. Um, unfortunately, that means answering the phone on Sunday and whenever it rings to be able mm -hmm. to help your client whenever you can. Well, exactly. And, and that's where I was going with this, right? So you guys recognize that that approach is not the way to approach in 2021. I mean, I'm sure it works for some people, but again, you know what I mean? Like the way the call goes as if they, it's as if you, you, you have all these people just sitting there waiting because they don't know where to go. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's just crazy. Now your approach is right. Like, I mean, you go on there and you provide value, you offer content by education, right? So it's yeah. helping people. And, and, and again, you're, you, even if it provides 2% of the people that look right. As an example, that you're providing value, you'll help almost everybody. Only 2% may call, but those videos will stay online basically virtually forever. Yep. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, yeah, go on, go on YouTube. Type in type in uh, Canada mortgages. You know, our our face pops up. Like you know, they are going to stay there forever. And if we if you can be the person who is going to educate people and keep them up to date and informed on the largest piece of debt you're ever going to have in your entire life, people and if you help people grow well, it's it's easy to become, you know a staple in a market when you help people grow their wealth. You know, we are helping people create generational changes in their lives. So, you know, being able to do that and leave and help people leave a legacy is, you know, it, it's super rewarding on our end, mm -hmm. but it definitely allows us to, you know, create a name and referrals as you're helping people make a ton of money too. It definitely helps the situation. Yeah. And we did it without, the expectation of someone coming and work for us. We didn't want to put out an email grab type campaign where it's like, Hey, I have 11 secrets, but I need your email, your social insurance number, your income amount. Like we just, 
we put it out there and it was, you know, if you have the internet, you can, you can go and take a look at it for free without any expectation of, of needing to provide us with information. And then if you think there's enough value there and you want to work with us, like, here's our number, here's our email, like, give us a call, we'll answer the phone. And, um, you know, that I think worked out really well for us in, in, in terms of, um, just being able to provide it without the expectation in terms of, you know, like for me, it's like you click on something and you're like, Oh, I want to learn about this. And then you need to fill in all this information. They'll get an email, you know, campaign, some automated message. And it's, it takes three to five days for you to get that, that information. And from then you've already moved on. Right. So we just wanted to create instant free access to information. Someone can just go and take a look at it. And then, like I said, if they want to work with us, here's our information. Feel free to, to give us a call. And, and we answer the phones. Um, you know, our phone numbers are, pretty much circulating out there our personal numbers um for the most part and uh like we'll answer the phone if uh if they call so and i think that's very very important and that's i'll be honest that's one common thing i notice from people who are successful and the ones that uh, wish they did this or wish they did that um you, you know me i'm not gonna like without blasting anybody uh <laughs> you don't know how many times i've been out with somebody and the phone's ringing. I'm going to just do a little role play here. But, uh, you know, the phone's ringing and they're like looking at the phone like this. It's like, woohoo, pretty lights. Wee, it's ringing. Oh, it's making noise. What do I do? <laughs> you know, it's like, like, and I'm like sitting there going, okay, is that a personal call? No, it's work. And you're not answering it? So it's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, like literally, we put all our efforts and all our time yeah. and sweat and and fears and you're trying to get this thing to uh you know pop up with pretty lights and noises and yeah. then when it happens we're just staring at it yeah like it's crazy it's crazy like <laughs> so, I, I completely agree so for, for like a, a sales driven industry man if that phone rings yeah. you better answer that phone <laughs> yeah exactly so but that's awesome i mean I, I love what you guys are doing i mean i love i love ex exactly what you stand for like you know i mean the whole providing that information i think this is phenomenal and great and i think i think everybody should be doing that yeah and, and and it's just amazing um but yeah like so that yeah that's totally amazing i'm just blown away by it because i i used to i'm used to hearing people say oh i do social media and whatever oh but it doesn't really work mm -hmm. but it's and, why and, you know, we, everyone's pushed it i mean if you listen to gary v gary v's been talking about social media since forever um and I always thought, yeah, social media is great, but what does a mortgage agent have to show that's, you know, quantitative? A realtor can show a walkthrough, they can show a house. Like a mortgage agent, I don't have anything quantitative to really show. I, I, I never really thought the mortgage industry was one that would be able to succeed on social media. And then we were just completely wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> like it's actually the one thing like, and now we're, you know, we're, we don't have to spend our time making the phone calls, finding the business. Now we spend our time our time working on the business. And that's the biggest thing with, you know, what we, what did it make sense about cold calling is you spend 50% of your day doing the cold calls. And then the other half of your day, you're, you're limited to be able to only work on so much business because to get the business, you got to spend a certain amount of time to do it. So you're just limited. So if you can find a way to automate the business and have it come in without you, you know, we, we spend once a month where we shoot all of our videos and get it all done in one day. It's a long day. It's like eight hours. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's one day. And then we, that's the time that we put into our, our social media and then our, our team edits and stuff. But um, for us, it, it, you know, I'd rather spend one day for eight hours shooting the content than spend three to four hours every day cold calling and calling up on leads and following up and, and, and calling people. And, uh, you know, just it's a much better return on the investment. You know, one thing, one thing that, that really gets me is all the people who say, you know, social media doesn't work. It's, 
And it comes down to the investment you want to make in yourself and your business at the end of the day. If you want to put an, uh, an hour of, of creating a post and, and not being consistent with it, it's not going to work. You know, we, we spend an immense amount of time and energy and resources on creating our content and hiring a team of professionals to do that. Like you know, we're, we're not editing our content and doing all this. So, you know, it, it is quite a significant investment in your business and your time, but like, you know, you're only going to be able to succeed if you decide to hire professionals or have people who are going to be consistent mm. with a plan on and executing that plan. So is it difficult? Yes. Is it saturated? Yes. You know, can you succeed in it? 100% you can, but you need to make that investment in your business and stay consistent with it for you to actually be able to succeed in it. Makes total sense. I mean, you said three key points here. I mean, one, working on your business. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? A lot of people work in their business. Yep. Like they're the employee of the business, not the owner of the business. Right? And there's a big difference between working on your business and working in your business. Yep. I mean, you can only totally be wrong. We still do a lot of working in the business, but it's not as much as oh, what it looks yeah. Yeah, it's part of it, right? But but I'm just saying, right? Like, I mean, like you can if you want to scale to be macro, you got to work more on your business than in it. I mean, obviously, there's obviously some stuff you're not going to be able to, you know, not do yourself. (laughs) But um, and then the um, oh damn, what was the second one? The second one was about consistency, Mm. right? I mean, you can't. You're not just going to go online, post something, say boom, there. Okay, where's the phone? Yeah, phone calls. I mean. No, it's consistency over time. Let's face it. If you have a thousand people on Facebook, and I'm going to pick up Facebook, only out of the thousand people that will see your posts over that whatever period of time, there's only going to be, or, you know, a thousand people that viewed it. No, what am I trying to say here? You have a thousand friends. That's what I'm trying to say, or a thousand fans. Out of that thousand, only 30 people are really going to see it. Like at once, right? So mm-hmm. over time is how it's going to be. And how do you get everybody to see all your content consistent? Because it's not always going to be the same 30 people. Yep. Eventually, you do the cycle, and then people come to look. It's going, what is this? This keeps popping up. Yep. Right? It's and all, it Oh, yeah. It's all about being top of mind at the end of the day. Out, out of those 1,000 people, 30 people are going to see it. Out of those 30 people, did any of those people actually read your post? And are they in the market to be able to you know, access your product? And then out of that, maybe one person's in the market. And then if they see you know, five or six or seven times your name, know they're going to associate you with that specific thing it's a, it's a whole lot of association um and so- the algorithms like social media is a whole beast on its own right like you really do need to either be an expert yourself or have a team who's an expert in it because for instagram instagram changes their algorithms every once in a while so posts that were doing well you know may all of a sudden stop doing well you got to figure out why you got to change it up it's it's a lot to to be able to manage on your own and, and, and it really does involve putting that uh, initial investment into having a team to do it for you and stay on top of it and, and make sure your content's on top. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that was the, yeah. So that was, like I said, there was those two. And then the third one was going to be, oh, you, we just said it. Oh, I forgot. Anyways, we'll move on. <laughs> we just said it. Cause you just said it again. And I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> professionals. That's what I was going to say. That's the thing. Everybody has their expertise in something. Mm. So you can actually, you can either uh, spend your time and be the best at what you do or spend your time and focus on stuff you're not good at. And we can all know which one you're going to succeed with. Yep. Right. So, you, you know, just like when people come to you, they're coming to you because they think you're the professional. They believe you're the professional and you guys carry yourselves as a professional. 
and, and you do that because you're always updated on information you know what's going on experience you know whatever combination that makes you the pro just like whatever combination makes me the pro and what i do so people come to you for the professionalism right so and there's pros to do other stuff that you need as well so why would you try to spend your time on something you're not good at it makes no sense right? you would hire a professional Completely agree. I think as you scale and as you grow as an entrepreneur, as you grow as an agent or a broker or whatever you are, you realize very quickly that your time is the only asset that matters. Um, and be the best at what you do and focus your time on that. Outsource everything else. You are going to be light years ahead of everybody else if you find a way to be able to have other people who are really good at daily tasks do those things or other people who are really good at aspects of your business do those things and let yourself focus on you know, what you're really good at, whether that's talking to people on the phone, following up with clients, you know, going and getting business, shooting content, whatever you're really good at, do that thing and your business will 10x. 100%, 100%. So speaking of what is, like I noticed that you guys have uh, various vendors. I'm, I'm sure you have various you know, mortgage options, which, what, um, why don't you describe that? Like, like how, how does a person get a, a approved? Like, I mean, like when you go to a bank, I mean, it's just a bank, you're going to TD and you know, they either say yes or no, and they're yeah. the loan providers, right? So then you gotta go to another bank. And by the time you get to the third bank, they've all written you off because they've just damaged your credit. Yeah. Um, obviously yeah. coming to you guys, there's a much bigger advantage, mm -hmm. right? And I'm, I'm sure you have multiple loan options. So why don't you get into that and explain how that works? Yeah, we, we work with quite a few different industry partners on the lending side. So, you know, we have lenders from the big five banks to the monoline A lenders to the alternate type B lenders, um, credit unions we work with and uh, private lenders as well too. So for us, like we, we like to consider ourselves solutions based. So we have the competitive interest rates, but if you're looking for the absolute bottom of the barrel, you know, that's you're you're looking at a different brokerage who works off that volume bonus. That's that's a completely different game for us. It's um, you know, our ideal client or the audience that we kind of target is someone who's been turned down from a triple A bank for some reason, whether it's credit score, whether it's income, whether it's too many properties, you know, or it's just outside that A scope. For us, that's when we're able to step in and then find some sort of solution to be able to get them into that property. Um, we do a lot of B-side type lending uh, with our B partners. So a lot of advantages there where they have uh, lower minimum credit scores. So if you have some you know issues with credit, whether it's bruised uh, credit from just some stuff that's happened in the past and, and you're not working on getting your credit back up, uh, bankruptcies, consumer proposals, stuff like that, you know, we can work with them next day after being discharged. Um, and business for self guys, you know, some of them just have a lot of credit, um, a lot of utilization. So just that high utilization on credit cards and lines of credits can slowly decrease your credit score over time. So to no fault of your own, um, you know, you may have just a slightly lower credit score. Um, they work with higher debt ratios. So we're able to fit more debt into an application, whether that's credit cards, lines of credits, mortgages, whether it's an increase in your purchase price and what you're looking to do. Um, or maybe it's just a lower income and then the ratio just happens to be a little bit higher. You know, we can fit those into there. Um, and the big thing for the investors is that they have a much stronger, uh, rental income program. So instead of allowing like where the big banks and, and most of the, the A lenders, they only allow you to do a 50% add back of your rental income. So if you're getting a thousand dollars a month, you can only use $500 and just add that 
essentially to your qualifying income. The, the B lenders allow you to do an 80% offset. So they actually take 80% of your rental income and uh, essentially wash your debt with it. So as you're qualifying, you're not qualifying with the same amount of debt load. So it, it does drastically change your qualifying ratios um, and significantly increases your purchasing power, especially if you have, you know, three or four rental properties that have pretty strong cash flow in there. It can be a game changer from trying to qualify on the A to the, to the B side. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, credit unions, credit unions have been a really big um, uh, a partner for us lately, especially on the multi-unit uh, sides, like that five unit up. Um, you know, the big thing about qualifying on on the small business side is you're no longer personal debt servicing. Now we're just debt servicing the building or the asset itself. Um, so if you have you know lower income or if you're a business for self guy and you pay yourself a little bit lower than what your company makes. Um, you know, being able to qualify for a five unit and up building is a lot easier than trying to qualify personally on an A or a B side. Um, credit unions, you know, they have competitive rates. Um, they're not quite on that AAA tier, but because it is a small business, you know, they're in between the A and the B. So, you know, they're two to mid twos. Um, so it's still pretty competitive. Um, and they're, and they're really flexible with what they can do. You know, they take advantage of portfolio lending. Um, so if you have multiple properties in a portfolio with them, you can now qualify based off of your entire portfolio debt servicing. So it makes it a lot easier when you're trying to get into a building that has, you know, either maybe it's fully vacant or maybe it's half vacant and it just, it can't debt service itself. Well, now you can use the additional cash flow from your portfolio, average it out over all your buildings. And as long as it's at that 1.2, 1.25 ratio, uh, you know, you're, you're good to go and, and get on that purchase. And that saves you from potentially having to do a private transaction, um, which we have options for, but can be, you know, can be quite expensive in, in some situations, you know, private lending is a really great tool to be able to get into a, into a product. And it's a great entry solution. Um, you know, there are some costs associated with it. There is, you know, on average 2% uh, broker and, and a 2% lender fee, depending on the transaction, and which lender you're going with. So it, it can be quite pricey, but the creativity and the flexibility that we're able to, you know, able to use on the private side really has no limit. Um, it, it's, you know, we like to call it like a pay to play type uh, solution, where as long as you have the cash to be able to get it done, you know, there, there is really no limits on, on the creativity on the private side. That makes sense. That makes total sense, actually. Now, let me ask you something. I'm always curious. Can you combine, like, prime example, just say, you know, like with a B lender or something, you can get 400000 from them, but you need 600000 Can you do like a double mortgage that way and use the private to compensate or would that screw you up with the uh, lender? So... Okay. So, um, <laughs> so there are some credit unions out there um, who will allow you to use a vendor take back or secondary financing um, piece of debt. As long as it, as long as that monthly payment fits within the certain minimum debt service coverage ratio that they're, that they're qualifying at. So for example, we have a client who is purchasing say a million dollar property. Um, they're only willing to get a 65% uh, loan to value uh, loan from the bank, from the credit union. Well, the credit union is going to allow you to have you know, up to 75 or 80 or however, however much debt you want in second position, as long as the um, payment fits within their minimum qualifying ratios. Uh, we do find a lot of uh, 
a lot of flexibility here specifically because you can um, you can kind of tailor what that monthly payment is going to look like with either balloon payments at the front or the back end of the loan. So there are some um, additional, there is some additional flexibility there that we can utilize. Now, specifically, they're able to do that because they're private banks. They aren't federally regulated in, re in regards to having to deal with the stress test. Um, any conventional lender on like a federally regulated financial institution they're not going to be able to have any sort of secondary financing to make a purchase. Makes total sense. I get it. I, I, I kind of was curious on that on my own. I kind of half knew the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I figured I would ask. That's awesome. Now I noticed something that um, uh, like the States did this before, and I'm not sure if uh, what the scoop is here. Um, buying a house, pretend I have zero down payment. What are my options? How do I, uh, do I have any options or am I just screwed? You do. Um, so vendor take back is, is definitely one being and utilizing the credit union and, and the strength of the asset. That's ideally your best scenario. Um, aside from bringing on a joint venture partner and, and, and purchasing on a, on a B side, and maybe he brings some cash. Um, the other option is, uh, going private. We can collateralize additional properties. Um, and utilize the equity to increase the loan of value. So if you were looking to purchase, you know, a $500,000 building and you literally had no money and you had, you know, a million dollars or, or 500,000 or $600,000 in free equity, you know, we can tag that equity in second position with a private mortgage. And as long as the lender feels comfortable with the amount of equity that's secured, you know, we've done 115% before, I think was probably one of the hires that we've done. And it was, um, literally that scenario, a guy came to us, his financing fell through with a bank. Um, you know, he had to close on a Monday, I think it was, or a Tuesday, he came to us on Thursday or Friday. We were able to collateralize, um, a property that he had. It was a, a million dollars, no mortgage on it. We got him 115% loan of value, covered all his fees, all his costs, renovations. Um, and the upside of the, of the burr or the, the flip that he was doing was large enough that he was going to be able to pay everything off and it, and it worked out without him having to put any, uh, any money into it. So it is possible. It does require, we, we do need additional assets, something to secure, securitize and collateralize, but it, it is doable. Um, and then depending on how much equity, you know, we can cover all the costs or we can minimize those costs as, as much as possible. Yeah. And in regards to like conventional loans, unfortunately there isn't a uh, product out there. So back in the day, there used to be like ninja loans, like no income, no job loans in the States. Um, yeah. Hence the 2008 financial <laughs> crisis. Um, there are no uh, options like that currently at the moment. If you do want to put uh, the minimum amount you need to put down is 5% down and that's an, on an insured mortgage. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, an insured mortgage is going to have a premium on it that is built into the loan amount and amortized over the term. Meaning essentially if you put your 5% down, there's a 4% premium built in. You have a 1% equity position. So the minimum amount you can put down on a conventional loan is going to be 5%. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So now here's another thing, right? Which I learned. I learned this one actually uh, firsthand. Well, not for me. We uh, sold the house. Well, my parents sold one of the rental units. And um, I remember it's a little funny story here. The uh, person wanted to... Like they came to the table and they wanted a lower offer than what they originally said. And their argument was, oh, but it's cash. And we're like, 
I, to be honest, I get paid either way. I don't really care. Yeah. You, I, mean, I didn't say that, obviously. Is he like in a double bag? Like, what do you mean cash? Like <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, so, but anyways, kept arguing and arguing and arguing. I kept listening, right? And um, I remember eventually they came up to our price. Well, they came close to it. They were, it was like a 10K difference or some stupid thing like that. And uh, the realtor we had at the time, I mean, I was still young at the time. It was long before my license. So the realtor we had at the time between the two realtors, they uh, withdrew some of their commission to make the deal happen. And, um, but I remember that he goes, kept saying, I got cash. I don't need financing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Again, I don't care. Um, all of a sudden a week before closing, I got a knock on the door. I open up the door. I'm here to see your house. No, you're not. Who the hell are you? Right? Like, yeah. what's going on? Right? Like, oh, 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 I'm sorry. They go, is this so-and-so? Yeah. I go, I'm the mortgage uh, appraiser and we're here to see uh, the home. I'll go, this house isn't for sale. Oh, no, no. I meant uh, your other home. Oh, okay. I'm looking at it going, really? But the guy said he had cash. So where he goes with it, he goes, yeah, he brought the house with cash, but he wants to do construction. And then he figured out he can't get the construction loan. So now he's oh, taking man. the mortgage, right? So I'm sitting there going, ah, there uh, go. high and almighty is not so high and almighty anymore. Yeah. But uh, where I was going with this wasn't really a mock story, even though I just made it one. Um, well, the point is that obviously with conventional lending, if you need construction money, that becomes a challenge. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, and Sometimes just conventional lending on its own can be a challenge for some, for some buyers. I mean, you know, restrict, um, underwriting guidelines have, you know, they're not, they, they get more strict over time. I mean, I don't ever think guidelines have really get more lenient. I mean, they did reduce the stress test a little bit, but then they just, they're bringing it back up as of June 1st, potentially. I think it's not quite set in stone yet, but they're definitely strong talks on it. Um, or maybe it's concrete. I don't know. Either way, there it's definitely it's, it's definitely coming up June first. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime you got to get a little bit more creative than just a standard purchase, especially with construction, uh, you know, you got to look at as is, as complete type values. You know, now you got to start looking at you know qualifying for the construction loan based off of the as complete. So it definitely adds in another element of uh, financing that needs to be taken into consideration. So and that's the big thing for us when we talk to to clients about you know waiving financing conditions and and whether or not they need to go firm or should go firm and for us obviously we can never recommend it but it's just there's always some element that could come up that you know either we're not aware of yet or you're not aware of yet um it all comes down to the lender and especially on the appraisal right the appraisal is something that no one has any foresight into um you know you can have as much pictures as you want but if something gets missed and the appraiser sees it you know that Maybe there's a big crack in the foundation that no one saw, or maybe there's some insulation that no one saw. That that kind of stuff can blow up a deal really quickly. So, you know, financing's never guaranteed, even after you get the commitment um, from a lender. So, I mean, we've had, you know, financing fall through the day before. A uh, client quits their job and they can't verify the income. And, you know, now you're closing privately and um, it doesn't always turn out great. So it's just, it's never, it's never really guaranteed. So. I agree. I, I've had that uh, commitment letter was done. Everything was done. Three days before, I go. We go through the final walkthrough. Person shows up with a brand new car. Oh no! <laughs> oh man! So, yeah, yeah. You know exactly what happened there. Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, oh, the boy. credit bureau and what's this fifteen hundred dollar car payment? Right here? <laughs> yeah. Now all of a sudden, no mortgage. Yeah. No. Uh, like, and then they're looking and going, but it's just a car. I can afford to pay this. Yeah, that's not the way the formula works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like construction loans seem to be a very, very uh, tough topic for a lot of people. May, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, like I'm curious. Is most of it done through private loans, or is there other avenues? There are definitely other avenues. I mean, the most expensive part of usually usually construction loans is what, what we're seeing as like these infills in Toronto. It's you know, you're having to buy the lot. So I mean, if you as long as you own the lot, you can usually if it's an empty lot, it's fifty percent of the value of the property. So it's a fifty percent down payment, and then usually you're required to have at least ten percent in cash reserves for an overage on your budget. Um, and hopefully, depending on where you're at, a lot like a regular mortgage, you need to qualify for it. So you're going to have a few different types of capital. It's going to be the acquisition of the plot, then it's going to be your construction financing, usually in a handful of different draws. And then once it's complete, you have a takeout financing aspect as well. So depending on where you're at in regards to credit and cash and what you need to actually do the loan, um, really is going to de depend on what lender you go to and what type of financing you're going to get. But uh, construction financing is definitely an interesting, um, an interesting part of, uh, of our financing stack for sure. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Like, um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest challenges I've seen when people want to do construction. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, challenges that are not predictable. I mean, yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is, yeah, we're, we're talking about credit rating a lot and where I want to go, what, what, is your minimum credit score to get a mortgage and you, cause I know you also have alternative options, so yeah. that's going to fluctuate. I mean, can you break it down? Yeah. 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 You go? Sure. Yeah. So on the A side, um, CMHC a few, maybe in six months ago now changed their minimum to 680, um, in terms of insured financing, uh, Genworth and, or Sagan, I guess now and Canada guarantee still have a 650 minimum that they can work with. So, 650 credit score it uh it gives you your more your standard debt ratios of 35 and 42 and then once you have that credit score at 680 you can work with the more relaxed so 39 and, and 44 those are your gds tds ratios how we qualify um uh so that's that's a side financing once you get over to the the b side um i think the minimum goes down to 500 or 550 around there um oh, wow. Yeah, so it can it can dip down there, and that's that whole alternative side that B lender. It really they they work with more riskier type financing, quote unquote riskier. Um, so whether that's like I said, higher debt ratios, or whether in this case it's a lower credit score, um, they do have the ability to work that low. They might reduce their loan to value um, or have a increase in fee, or there there are some additional underwriting guidelines when you start to get down to the the minimums for some lenders. Um, so just kind of be aware of that, but they can work with credit scores as low as 550 for sure. Maybe some 500, but 550 for sure yeah, is, and then, uh, is the lowest. And then private capital, they're more or less equity lenders, but you know, we do take an assessment of your credit and to ensure that you can you know, obviously make your payments and, uh, and afford it. The most important thing about our private financing really is that it's a solution-based um, you know, product. Our main goal is to make sure there's some sort of exit strategy, whether that is you're flipping a house or you're using it for quick renovations and you need to um, access a lot of capital very quickly to be and then have takeout financing set up. Um, but there isn't really a minimum credit score for uh, private financing. It's more or less just creating an entire package and uh, 
being able to show the the lender whether that's an institutional mortgage investment corporation or a mom and pop lender um they're all going to have their own individual requirements when it comes to uh credit but something to keep in mind is the majority of the mortgage investment corporations which are the federally regulated um, private lenders in the space you know, they base their fees and rate off of credit scores so the higher credit score you have the less risky you are the less fees and rate you pay so anybody who is looking to enter that space or use this type of uh, capital it's important to realize that your credit score does affect your overall rate and fees but doesn't necessarily affect your qualification Okay, that makes sense, actually. That makes total sense. Um, now, here, I'm going to get into commercial now. Um, okay. Commercial is different than uh, residential, obviously. I yeah. mean, residential, you can get in with 5%. You have zero chance with commercial for that. That I, even I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are the uh, requirements to get a commercial mortgage? Yeah, yeah. So um, we do a lot of multifamily stuff. Um, our multifamily stuff... Um, it's necessarily based off of the net operating income of a property. So th the bank is going to qualify your, your property based off of a debt service coverage ratio, essentially meaning for every dollar it's going to cost, you're going to be making 25 cents. And if your property is self-sustaining, um, a lender will be able to issue a loan based off of that net operating income. Um, so, you know, it is a generalized picture meaning you know it, it's a lot like uh painting you know a photo it's no longer you're fitting within the box and you're checking off a bunch of boxes with a bank it's more like what is your personal network do you have capital reserves what is your credit score does the property debt service itself you know a lot of the qualification side of things is based off of um the property itself and the operating income it has but the credit's going to take a look at you as a borrower and if you can sustain those um you know as you know many different um, things go into purchasing larger buildings. So you know, a boiler might go, do you have $20,000 or the ability to access those funds to be able to uh, fix that thing for your building? So a handful of things go in it. There aren't very, there aren't like check boxes that need to be done, but um, the property needs a debt service and then you need to have a strong borrower profile. But for people who are maybe self-employed, you know, this is, a benefit to them. And this is one of the tools we help with uh, helping our clients scale is you know, a lot of the business for self guys, they're cash, they're, they're cash heavy, you know, they have quite a bit of capital to be able to play in the market. But like every other good business person, they necessarily write their income down for tax advantage reasons. So on the conventional side, it's very difficult to be able to qualify. But if you move into that five unit and up space, you have enough capital to be able to make the down payment um, so you're able to play in that game and you're able to show maybe you know your gross income so you're able to still show consistent income to a bank you necessarily don't need to qualify on that income though which is an absolute game changer uh, for most business for sell people absolutely now what if i bought a i'm going to buy a, the uh, five plex as, as i'll call it sure. and um right now i'm buying something brand new so it doesn't have tenants, but I'm going to rent it. Does it give me a challenge? <clears throat> it, yes and no, it can. Um, I, I've had deals before where as long as we have strong proof of the leases in place um, before the purchase closes, you know, the, the lenders are able to to utilize that. Um, if, if there isn't strong enough proof or if maybe the entire building is vacant and you're relying on, you know, like five fresh leases to come in um you know they may have some issues they may want to do some sort of reserve 
um, to be able to cover the the rental income. Um, so just taking a look again, like at your personal net worth, um, what do you have liquid to be able to cover that? Um, it more so comes down to the um, opinion of the, of the lender in that situation. And they're going to take a look at, you know, how do the rents hold up? Like, you know, what are the rental incomes? Um, is it enough to debt service the property? And then if it is, they'll probably take a look at your personal net worth, what your your liquid net worth is, how much do you have uh, in capital reserves to be able to cover it. And then, like I said, they may either lower the loan to value um, until you get those, um, the tenants are in and you have a year's of proof. Um, or they may ask for some sort of like res rental reserve just held um, to say, hey, like, you know, this guy has the, the capital to float it, um, you know, for six months or for nine months or for a year, whatever it is that they may want. Um, so there's a, a few different options and it really does come down to the lender and how they critique it, but um, kind of can, can go both ways, really. Yeah, it's, it's important though to realize that when you're purchasing a multifamily property, an average uh, request from a credit department is going to be you know, at least a minimum two years historical financials on the property. And we use those financials to be able to hypothecate or to be able to show what the expenses are going to be so we can figure out what that debt servicing ratio is. If you don't have that, it, it might it may be decently difficult. They sometimes use fair market rent valuations to be able to figure out what the operating income is going to be. But um, if you have a fully vacant uh, property, it's I think it's going to be decently difficult to be able to get it done unless uh, a lender makes an exception. So what we've seen in the past is having it tenanted either before you take possession um, is definitely going to help your situation. Mm -hmm. and, and I've had clients where they've purchased large multi-units and there was vacancies on uh, acquisition and, you know, they take a look at the historicals and it, and if it's a pre-existing building, you know, they'll take a look at the historicals like Josh said and say, well, okay, there's been consistent people living in here year over year. This is what their rents are. Obviously he's doing some renovations so that the tenants are going to be in there, but, you know, we know we'll get them back in there. And I've had, you know, lenders put out uh, financing on those buildings um, again, it was, you know, a relatively strong personal net worth for the, for the borrower, um, pretty liquid. So, I mean, that definitely helps as well too, but there, there are ways to make the lender feel comfortable with it and showing the historicals and having the liquid net worth will definitely go a long way with being able to get the financing on those vacancies and vacant units. Okay. That makes total sense. It makes total, total sense. I get it. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, like personally, I believe that um, assuming you have your own place to live, that if you're doing uh, rentals, I believe my personal is that people should get into multiple residents. I don't think people should invest in one door. Um, mm. I think that's a little bit risky. You lose one tenant, you're screwed. Where yeah. um, if you have multi-door, even if two don't pay and you have five, three kind of covers most of the bills. So you're not up shit's creek. Part of my mm -hmm. Sure. No, yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah, it could cost, cost per unit is lower. Um, you know, it, it makes more sense from a scalability standpoint to be able to purchase uh, multifamily buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, I think the most important thing is to get in the market, regardless of what. Mm -hmm. But once you're in the market, option two <laughs> is multi-residential. But that's just opinion. Everybody can do what they want. Um, the other thing I was going to say is like, okay, let's let's give me a, let's take a scenario. I've got, uh, I mean, it's a fictional scenario. This is not mine for real. Um, I got a score, a credit score of 680. I have a job. It's going to pay about 68,000 bucks a year. And 
I want to buy a home in one year. Um, I've only got $10,000 in the bank now. What are my do's and don'ts, you know, for the, over the next year that can help ensure that I get that mortgage? Sure. So $68,000, unfortunately, isn't going to allow you to purchase a whole lot. Um, in the market that we're in, I think the the barrier to enter the market currently in our area is like $350,000, $400,000. So I think you'd be definitely stretching it, trying to qualify for a mortgage with that type of income. So I would say if you're making that much money, have somebody co-sign with you or speak to a family member about trying to add some income to your application. Um, and in regards to your down payment, save as much as possible. Um, you know, most lenders are going to require at least 5% and they're going to need to see at least one and a half percent of the purchase price in your bank account to show you can close in the transaction. So at least six and a half percent in your account of the purchase price. Um, don't miss any mortgage payments or don't, sorry, not mortgage payments. Don't miss any payments in general. You don't want to hit, uh, if you're at 680, you're essentially skating on the line. So try to get your, your uh, credit score up there um, and just you know, be consistent, make your payments on time, save money. Keep debt loans at a minimum. I mean, if you're, if you're on the, you know, if you're making under a hundred thousand dollars and you're a sole buyer, you don't have a partner to help get that income up. I mean, your biggest thing is just keeping your ratios as low as possible. And it's simply a matter of how much debt you have versus how much income. So, I mean, there's, there's two ways to, to move those ratios. You either make more money or you reduce your debt. Right. So um, not everyone can just go out there and say, I'm making 68 tomorrow. I'm going to make a hundred. So your next option is just, you know, reducing your debt. So paying down your credit cards, paying down your lines of credits, um, you know, if, if you have a car payment, um, you know, paying off debt is definitely easier than putting down additional down payment. So, you know, if you have if you have an additional ten thousand dollars to spend aside from your down payment, um, you know, instead of putting that on your down payment, if you have debt to pay off, pay that debt off instead of putting the down payment down. That definitely changes your ratios a lot more than than, than down payment. But yeah, there isn't much you you can really you can really do. Um, to be thank your yeah. mom and dad like ask <laughs> ask for money like <laughs> i get it i get it now what else was, yeah you brought up a point here now like in terms of having credit and stuff now pretend that the you know the same scenario um i've got thirty thousand uh, dollars line of credit i got uh eight thousand dollars in visa but they're all empty is that going to hinder me no it's not no so um the majority of banks aren't going to factor in uh, availability of credit into your debt servicing. So if you have less than $50,000 on an unsecured line, they're not really going to take a look at it on the conventional side. If you have a balance, then for any unsecured debt, we need to use 3% of the outstanding balance as a monthly debt payment, which you know, if you have $10,000 um, in unsecured debt, that can add a significant amount of monthly payment to your application. Um, but they won't necessarily take that into consideration as a negative. Now, if you go and get you know, open up five lines of credit right before you go buy a house, bank's probably going to be like, well, what's what's going on? Like, why do you open up a bunch of lines of credit? That's that's a little weird. But um, it, it shouldn't. Now, if you are some banks, like I believe Meridian, for example, they will factor in if you have like a home equity line of credit or like a uh, unsecured line of credit, I believe about $50,000, they're going to factor in the ability that it is fully um, utilized because they want to make sure that their loan 
isn't going to be underwater in regards to the ratios if you were to utilize all the accessible debt that you have. So some lenders do take a look at it and debt service it as fully used, but the majority of the conventional lenders do not. All right. That makes total sense. All right. Well, we're, we're at about 55 minutes. I don't want to uh, you know, take too much of your time. I mean, man, this goes by pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> any last final words or tips for anybody watching? I think just don't automatically, you know, count your situation out. Like there are solutions out there. Um, you know, speak, speak to us or, or speak to a, a, you know, another mortgage agent if you're working with one currently and just go over some options and, and take a look at, you know, what options could be available. And, um, you know, yeah, just, just, just ask around, you know, get a couple opinions first before you kind of stop your, your investing journey. If you're looking to get into investing or just looking to get into, get into a, your first home, um, there, there are options, you know, some of them are a little more costly than others, but, uh, you, you might be surprised at what, you know, we can do on the mortgage side to help get you into a, into a property, whether it's your first or whether it's a continual, um, investment type property. So, um, and just, you know, keep your financial literacy up, um, keep your debts, you know, ideally below 50%. Um, you know, the, the typical kind of things that you, you'd probably hear, um, any type of financial advice, but definitely just speaking to a mortgage professional beforehand and, and getting a good idea of what your affordability is going to be before you go on your journey. Um, the last thing you want to do is fall in love with a property or a house and then, you know, realize you, you can't afford it or, um, you know, making sure you're getting into the right mortgage product on your first purchase. Cause, the last thing you want to do also is tie up all that equity through a, a bona fide sale clause or you get into a five-year fixed and then you want to burr the property out next year and it's going to cost you $25,000 to break that mortgage. So just making sure you, you know, that first purchase and that first mortgage can really set the tone for, you know, your next five years of, of purchasing. Yeah. I, touching on, touching on Aaron said, you know, I, I definitely recommend taking a look at all of your options. Uh, we specifically focus on solutions and we help our clients find those solutions every single day. So if somebody says no, it's quite possible they maybe just don't understand what options are out there. So feel free to ask around and there probably is an option out there for you. Now, again, there are some minimum requirements. Like if, if you don't have any money down, like that's, that's going to be very difficult for you to buy a house, but uh, you know, there are a bunch of options out there. Just uh, reach out and ask. Awesome. Awesome. And finally, um, well, fine. I'm, I, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> how do people reach you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. You, you can reach out to us on Instagram. It's at the Finlay team. Um, we also have a Facebook page, a YouTube channel. Feel free to subscribe. We are pumping out content there weekly and our, uh, personal information, our emails and phone numbers can probably be just attached below to this uh, podcast or video. Um, feel free to reach out to either Eric or myself directly. Uh, we will try to get back to you as soon as possible. Fantastic. I want to thank you guys very much for being on this podcast. Um, even though I've been in the industry, I got some tips that I didn't realize as well. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, thank you very much for, uh, for taking part and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having us on, John. It was a, a great 58 minutes for sure. Chatting with yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, man.